to our series today on the book of Ruth. We're going to continue in the study of honor. And uh, before we do, I always like to start with something funny. And so I'm going to tell a story that I hope is funny. And you can give me the uh, emoji thumbs up or thumbs down. Just to, hopefully it's a thumbs up. Remember, we're teaching on honor. So, uh, um, all right. So I heard a story about these two guys who both love baseball. Do we have any baseball fans in the house? All right. And um, they're excited about baseball. And they're always talking about it. And then one of them says, hey, I wonder if there's baseball in heaven. The other one's like, oh yeah, there's baseball in heaven. There's gotta be baseball in heaven. And so they, they start having this conversation, a little debate of whether there's baseball in heaven. Well, finally, one of them says, well, you know what? Here's what we're gonna do. When one of us dies, you gotta go, when you get to heaven, you gotta ask St. Peter if he'll let you come back to visit. Or if it's me, we gotta come back and let the other person know if there's baseball in heaven. So they make this pact with each other. If we die, we'll ask St. Peter. We're gonna come back and tell each other. Sure enough, two weeks later, one of them died. Well, the man, of course, is sad. His friend is gone, and he's going to bed one night thinking about his friend when suddenly, boom, his friend appears. He's like, hey, and he's like, I'm back. Remember the promise we made? I asked St. Peter, I'm here. And he's like, oh, my goodness, you did it. You came back. So I need to know, is there baseball in heaven? The man looks at him, kind of smiles, and says, I have good news and bad news. He's like, well, what's the good news? He's like, the good news, there's baseball in heaven. He's like, yes, I knew it. See, I told you. He's like, well, what's the bad news? He says, bad news is you're pitching on Friday. Um, Amen. You need the seventh inning stretch? Okay. All right. I want you to stand to your feet and all of our campuses and those of you joining us online, if you want to stand right where you are, Santa Paula, why don't you stand Blythe, all of our campuses. We're going to read our theme verse that we've been looking at throughout this series as we go through the book of Ruth. Let's read it. Ruth chapter one, verse 16. We'll all read together. But Ruth replied, wherever you go, I will go. Wherever you live, I will live. Your people will be my people, and your God will be my God. Will you do something? Just close your eyes. All of our campuses, close your eyes online. Father, we come today. First of all, we just lean in and invite the Holy Spirit to just breathe on this place. In your own way, whatever that looks like, will you just... Open your heart and lean into the Holy Spirit. Holy Spirit, we thank you for your presence. We ask today that you would speak profoundly. Lord, we don't want to leave saying, hey, that was a funny story. We want to leave, Lord, going, man, God said something to me. Teach us about honor and how we can be people of honor. We just say, Holy Spirit, speak to me in Jesus' name. And everybody shouted, Amen. Amen. You may be seated today. If you've missed the series, what you may not know is that this statement we just read a moment ago is really a statement of honor. To give you a little insight into the book of Ruth, it's about a woman, first of all, named Ruth, but her mother-in-law named Naomi. Let me give you the cliff notes. Naomi and her husband, Elimelech and Malon and Kilion, their two sons, leave Israel in the city of Bethlehem, and they go to the land of the Moabites. While they're there, because of a famine that's taking place, a great recession, he goes to find a job, and while he's there, his son, Naomi's sons, they marry two Moabite women. Tragedy strikes, both the sons die, and the husband, Elimelech, die. Now Naomi is left destitute as a widow, with no money, no resources, her sons are dead, 
She has two daughter-in-laws. One of the daughter-in-laws named Orpa or Opa, Oprah. I can't, well, we'll figure it out. Um, no, Orpa, she ends up leaving, but Ruth says to her mother-in-law, your people will be my people, your God will be my God. Naomi moves back to the land of Israel because the famine is over. And what she's saying when Ruth says this statement is literally, I'm going to honor you. Because she's saying, number one, if I have to, I'll stay single till, till the rest of my life, until I die. I'll, that's, if that's what I got to do, I'll do it. She says, I'll leave my family, I'll leave my friends to be with you. I'll be your caretaker. I am going to honor you. And so we've learned that the book is really not just a story of the life of Ruth, but it's a story of honor. And so today I want to continue in chapter two. We looked at chapter one um, two weeks ago. Last week, and we took it par- looked at parts of chapter two. I want to dive into the rest of chapter two that we didn't go through. And I want to start in Ruth chapter two, verse one. And as we go, I just want to point some things out as we dive in today. How many are ready to learn some things from God's word? Shout amen. amen. All right, so here we go. Now there was a wealthy and influential man in Bethlehem named Boaz, who was a relative of Naomi's husband, Elimelech. Let me stop right there, and before we go in, and before I get to our main point today, I just got to point out some truths from God's Word, because when you read that, you might just read through and not realize there's a powerful truth right there. You see, what we learned in week one is that the book starts in dishonor, and here's why. Because Elimelech and his wife Naomi and their sons, they leave Israel because of the famine, and they go to Moab, and they dishonor God. Why is that dishonor? Well, here's why. Because God had said to his people that, listen, the Moabites, they are evil, and they are cursed by me. You are not to live with them. You're not to marry them. No matter what your circumstances are, you honor God first. And so what happens? Because there was a recession, and there weren't many jobs, They dishonored God, and they went to where the money was. We learned that the book starts with dishonor. And of course, when they dishonored God and when they disobeyed God, there were consequences. And unfortunately, those consequences were there was death of the two sons and the the husband. When we read this story, we discover kind of the review, and that is that you honor through obedience. Because Boaz, he lived in Bethlehem. In other words, when the famine came, when the recession came, this man who had companies and wealth and, and fields, he didn't just bail and go find something else. He said, even though I'm in the famine, I'm going to trust God because he's really my provider. So he stays, and here's the cool thing. He stays, and when everybody should be poor and have nothing left because of this horrible famine, what does it say? Boaz was a wealthy man. In other words, what it tells us is that when we choose obedience and we choose honor, we position ourselves, even in a famine, to be blessed by God. Come on, somebody say amen. I made the statement, I would rather be in a famine without a job in the will of God than be out of the will of God with a six-figure income. Because God blesses obedience. Come on, that was just for free. I just threw it in there for you. We haven't even got to the good stuff yet. Let's keep going. So Ruth went out to gather grain with the rest of the harvesters. And say this phrase with me, as it happened, she found herself working in a field that belonged to Boaz. I got to pause again. 
I can't keep going because there's just so many good, there's just so much good stuff right there in the middle of this passage. Now, when you read that, you might think, okay, so she ended up in Boaz's field. What's the big deal? Well, here's the thing you need to know. The phrase, as it happened, you can actually translate it as luck would have it. How many of you have ever had a, a moment where you felt like, man, man, I, I got lucky in that? But you know what's interesting? She ends up not in any field. She ends up in Boaz's field. Why is that big? Because here's the point. Boaz just happens to be the family kinsman redeemer. We're going to talk next week about the kinsman redeemer. So she ends up in a field with the kinsman redeemer, the person who's going to be her future husband, the person who's going to provide for her family in the midst of their poverty, the one who's going to protect and bless her. She ended up in the place of God's blessing because here's the point. How many know there are no coincidences with God? You thought you just happened to be at the grocery store and met that person who happened to know someone that worked at the company that you happened to be applying for, and they happened to end up through the conversation, give them a, a, a positive word, so then they ended up choosing you, and you got the job, and God provided you. It wasn't a coincidence. Come on, there are no coincidences with God. Come on, anybody thankful that God is watching out for us? Come on, look at somebody. Give them a high five and say, God's got your back. Come on there, let's, that's for free. We haven't even got to the message yet. Come on, somebody say amen. amen. Isn't that cool? Right there in the middle of the story, God's blessing us. Amen. So let's keep going. We're going to get through it. Hang in there. So she ends up in the field where Boaz is. It's not a coincidence. And then it says, while she was there, Boaz arrived from Bethlehem and greeted the harvesters. The Lord be with you. He said, the Lord bless you, the harvesters replied. I, I'm sorry, I can't go on. <laughs> I got to stop because there's so much good stuff right there in the middle of this passage. Come on, when you read this, look, look what this says. He shows up to the field and he says, the Lord be with you. And everybody responds, the Lord bless you. And um, now why is that a big deal? Well, let me tell you, it tells us something about Boaz and it teaches us a principle. You see, what this was, was this was actually the, the custom or the phrases that a Jewish service in those days would end with. So when the rabbi was leading the, the, the service, at the end, he would look at the congregation and he would say, the Lord be with you, and the congregation would say, so let's practice it. You ready? Here's how the service would end. It was a, a statement of faith. It was a statement of worship. It was a collective spirit of, of, of community of God. The Lord be with you. Now, why am I bringing this up? Well, this is cool because here's the point. Our faith doesn't stop at the edges of the doors of the church. In other words, God has called you. In fact, I think that Boaz realized that he was called to steward and pastor his employees. So he brought his faith into his work. Now, I know in our culture you have to be careful how you do that. But how many know that whether you're on a soccer field or you're whether in your cubicle or you're in your classroom, how many know that God can use you to bring joy and peace and blessing and, and the light and love of Jesus Christ? Come on, somebody say amen. Faith doesn't stop at the doors of the church. That was free too. <laughs> so let's keep going. You gonna keep going? Come on, how many with me? Say amen. amen. So we're gonna get into the, the, the stuff here, the, the good stuff, the, the message for the weekend. I wanna dive now and kind of set it up. We, remember, we learned in week one that we honor God with obedience, right, and repentance. And then last week, you're gonna see right here is that we honor God with hard work. 
Because Ruth, when she gets back with Naomi to the land, instead of allowing people just to provide for them, she said, hey, I'm young, I'm strong, I'm going to go work. And well, that was the way God provided for people, right? Is that the, in the harvest time, that the people who own the fields, God said, don't reap the harvest on the edges of the fields. Leave it there. And even when you're harvesting, if you drop some, don't go back and get it. So that people that don't have anything, the poor, they can come out, they can walk through the field, and they can harvest grain for themselves. And we learned what? That God provided a way for people to have their needs met, but it wasn't a, a handout, it was a hand up. And that people that, unless there's a physical disability or something too old to do it, that there was a means. And God said, I will provide for you, but here's how you do it. Work for it. Come on. And so Ruth says, I got it. I work hard. I'll honor God through hard work. And that's where we pick up on the story. She's in the field. She's working hard. Boaz shows up, does his little, hey, the Lord bless you. The Lord be with you, all of that. And then he sees Ruth and he's like, man, that girl's working hard. Who is that? His foreman says, well, that's the daughter, uh, daughter-in-law of Naomi. She's here. And you know what? She, Boaz, she's been working hard. She's barely taking a break. This girl knows how to work hard. And so he walks up to her and look what he says. Listen, my daughter. Now, if you're a dad in the house, shout amen. amen. We're going to dive into that in a minute. Listen, my daughter. Stay right behind the young women working in the field. See which part of the field they are harvesting and then follow them. I have warned the young men not to treat you roughly. In this, you're going to learn some pretty powerful things. And when you are thirsty, help yourself to the water they've drawn from the well. And then he says, when they stopped and took a break and they have a meal, at mealtime, Boaz called her and said, come over here and help yourself to the food from my table. You can dip your bread into the sour wine. So she sat with the harvesters and Boaz gave her roasted grain to eat. And then when Ruth went back to work again, Boaz ordered the young men. He said, hey, let her gather grain. I know she's not part of the harvester. She's here as a person who doesn't have a lot and just gathering what's left over. But let her gather grain right among the sheaves. And pull out some of the heads of barley from the bundles and drop them on purpose for her. So you ready for the big point this weekend? Last weekend it was... You honor God with hard work. You honor God with obedience. You ready for the bumper sticker this weekend? Here's what it is. Write it down. If you're taking notes, if you're not taking notes, write it down. <laughs> ready? You honor God with generosity. You honor God. What are the attributes of, of honor? One of those attributes is generosity. So I'm going to give you two thoughts of how Boaz was generous. Because our generosity can take different forms. Here's the first form. Write this down. How, do we, how are we generous? Here's one way. Be generous with your resources. Be generous with your resources. Now, I know, first thing we think of when we think of that is we think of money. We think of wealth. And did you know that with your money and with your wealth that you can honor God? Let me show you. It's found in the Bible. It's found in Proverbs 3.9. The Lord says, what's the first word? Honor. Come on, let's try it again. I want to hear you out in Santa Paula and Blythe. Everybody, come on. What is the word? Honor, honor the Lord with your wealth. How? With the first fruits of all your crops. We know that that means to bring the 10%. That's not ours, by the way. It's the Lord's. Of all we make, 10%, God says, I want you to bring back to your local church. Give it all in the tithe to your local church. We learned that a few months ago, right, in our stewardship series. But here's the reality. That's not generosity. Because a lot of Christians think that when they give the tithe to the church, they're being generous. But that's not generosity, and here's why. It's because it's not your money. How many know you can't be generous with something that's not yours? 
So what happens is when we bring the tithe back to God, we're honoring him by saying, God, this is yours. So when generosity begins is at 11%. So when we get a chance to now be generous with our resources, and if you choose money as an avenue for that, then really it's at 11%. And that's what I love about Boaz is Boaz is not just enough kind of guy. He's a more than enough kind of guy. He won't just do the minimum, but he'll take it to the next level. So he not only honors God with the tithe, we, we, obviously he was an honorable man and did that, but he was also generous with his crops. And not only that, now there's a young woman who's poor, and what does he do? He doesn't just say, okay, you can do what the law says, you can, you can harvest along the edges, and if something drops, you can take it. Now he takes it to the next level. He says, if you're thirsty, hey, that's part of my resource. Come over here and you can have something to drink. Oh, and by the way, I'm going to take care of your needs. And by the way, if, you, if you're hungry, I know you brought a sack lunch, but that's not much food. Come on over here. I got some Chick-fil-A. Why don't you have some 12-piece nuggets and extra fries you can eat from my table. Come on, let me know what I'm talking about. He was a above and beyond kind of guy. And can I stop and say that I'm so thankful for this church. We have people in this church that are above and beyond, generous, 11% above and beyond kind of people. We have people that just last weekend, Santa Paula, we had backpacks and praise God, some of those backpacks, they came because people at this campus, you gave above and beyond and you brought backpacks and put them in the bins so that Pastor Chad could help pass them out. Come on, how many are thankful for above and beyond? Because we honor God with generosity. We had someone recently, we're starting a campus at Canyon Country. Anybody excited about Canyon Country campus? You know, someone came and said, Pastor, God spoke to my heart, and I know you need things over there. Can I give money? And they gave over $100,000 to help us buy the equipment we need for Canyon Country. Come on. How many are thankful for above and beyond generosity? But I want to pause now for a minute because we tend to think of money, and we don't realize that when we're called to be generous with our resources, that your resources could be something beyond money. And I want to focus for a minute because if we're going to honor God with generosity, you see... Boaz, his name, let me give you an example of how that Boaz gave with his resources and it wasn't just money. Boaz, the name in the Hebrew means strong man. And what's interesting is that when this person comes, now he feels led by God to be generous and to honor God. So he doesn't just give resources, um, food and so on, but he says, hey, come here, daughter. It's interesting because he looked at her as a daughter. Now, how many dads are out there? If you're a dad, say amen. amen. Come on, how many know as dads that we want to provide for our kids, but how many know if you have a daughter, you not just want to provide for your daughter, you want to protect your daughter? Come on, any dads have a guy show up to your house to want to take her on a date, and when they came in, you showed them your gun collection? <laughs> you might know what I'm talking about. And you were really clear about guidelines, you are clear about... But when they're supposed to be home, and you didn't just let them walk out the house, you followed them to the car. <laughs> and you stood in the road as they drove away. Come on, anybody know what I'm talking about? And as they're driving away, and your daughter can't see you anymore, and you see the, the guy looking through the, 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 the rearview mirror as he's driving away, you're like, come on, you know what I'm talking about? Because dads protect. And what I love is that Boaz didn't just provide for her needs from resources like wealth, but here's what he said. He said, you know what? Women in this culture, when they work in the field, they're prone to, to be assaulted. So guess what? My daughter, I've talked to my men, and if you'll stay in this field, they won't touch you. They won't harm you because I'm here to protect you. Here's my question. What do you have that God can use to be generous with 
that you didn't realize you had. Maybe honoring God isn't just giving in the plate and the offering bag. Maybe honoring God is for you looking out for someone that's around you that has no one to look out for them. It reminds me of a family in our church that this family is an, an amazing family and they, they have, a, have three kids and they have a nice home, but they don't have like a home that's got 10 bedrooms. But what's amazing is all the years I've known them, they've always invited someone from outside their home, usually a young person, a man or a woman who maybe didn't have a, a, parent, a parental figure in their life or they didn't have a lot. And so they would invite them into their home and they'd let them stay there and they would mentor them and bring them to church and, and they gave generously from what they have. What, what do you have to give? Sometimes we disqualify ourselves because we think, well, I don't have a lot of money. Can I tell you what generosity is? Here's the reality. Generosity is less about what you have and more about who you are. And so I want to encourage you that maybe there's something that you have to give. Maybe it's your time to come and serve the church and be a blessing to others. Maybe it's coaching a team. Maybe it's volunteering at a school. Maybe it's loving on somebody that's hurting. But how many know that God has given us so much? So the question is, are you honoring God with generosity? Or are you busy with life focused on your own self and your own desires? We honor through generosity and how? You know, what's funny is, that, is that some people, their generosity is different. Like, I'll, I'll never forget. How many know some people, they're generous with food? Come on, have you ever been to someone's house? My mother-in-law, when I first was dating my wife, Devette, it was funny, I'd go show up, and I was a, a poor college, in fact, let me just say it, I wasn't a poor college student, I was, a, I was so poor, I was po. I couldn't, I, couldn't, I couldn't afford the OR. Come on, anybody know what I'm talking about? I wasn't poor, I was po. And so I would show up at her house, and I was hungry, and, you know, I, had, I ate food there, whatever, but I didn't have a lot, and so I, every time I left, she'd be loading me up, you know, she could cook Mexican food, she could cook all kinds of stuff. And have you ever figured out that when you go to somebody else's house, their food always looks better at, your, at their house than yours? I mean, they can make mac and cheese, and you're like, wow, that looks so good. And I would walk out of the door loaded with tacos and enchiladas and cookies, and man, my, the guys that were in my dorm loved me. Why? Because someone was generous. What? do you have? Because generosity isn't really about what you have, it's about who you are. And when you have a heart of generosity, you'll discover there are so many ways that you can demonstrate generosity and honor the Lord. Y'all with me, shout amen. amen. I want to give you the last thought about generosity and what it looks like. Because not only be generous with your resources, here's the, the last thing. Be generous with your kindness. I want to show you what happened in the story. At the end of chapter 2, Ruth goes home and she's pumped because God's blessed her and she has all this grain. It literally was a, 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 one of those large dog food bags. You know, you've seen those. That's how much grain she brought home. Far more than a, a person who was just harvesting the leftovers in the field would get. And so she begins to tell her mother-in-law all that happened and how Boaz blessed her and protected her and, and gave her all these things and how blessed she was. And look at what her mother-in-law says. May the Lord bless him. Naomi told her daughter-in-law, he is showing his what? He's showing his kindness to us as well as to your dead husband. That man is our closest relative, one of our family redeemers. Now, I'm going to just say, next week we get to talk, I've been waiting this whole series to talk about the kinsman redeemer. Let me talk about that next week. But it's interesting because Boaz didn't just have generosity with his resources he was generous 
with his kindness. Why am I bringing that up as, a, as an attribute of honor? Because I think we have forgotten that you and I as Christians are called to be people of kindness. You do realize that in the Bible it says in Galatians that, that you and I are to clothe ourselves in kindness. You do realize that the Bible says that if you've received Christ, you're filled with the Spirit. And here's what the Bible says, that when you're filled with the Spirit, it will produce fruit. And the fruit of that Spirit isn't just love and joy, it's kindness. How many know that as Christians, we're called to be kind people? But how many know even Christians can be mean? Come on, have you ever met one of the mean Christians? Come on, how many know, we always point the finger at others, but... But we're kind until we get to church and we walk in, we're rushing in, trying to get there. We finally made it and someone is sitting in our seat. <laughs> Come on, have you ever seen the Christian that has that? And then as soon as they realize that someone's in their seat, they get the stink face. <laughs> Worship's going. <laughs> Come on, have you ever met Christians? They can, get, they can be mean and not be kind. Come on, have you ever seen it on the freeway? I'll never forget, I've told this story years ago, but I, I had a moment where I was getting ready to park, and as I was getting ready to park, a car literally raced around and raced into the parking spot as I was getting ready to pull into it. And it just, it was dangerous, and it made me mad. So I was fuming. I don't know why, but it just like, have you ever had something like that just pulls a trigger? And you didn't even know you had that trigger. And the next thing you know, my face is all red. And I'm like, I stopped the car because we had started to back, back away and take off. And I, as I'm backing away, I stopped the car. And my wife's like, what are you doing? I'm like, they need to know that was dangerous and that's wrong. And she's like, honey, she says, settle down. I'm like, no, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to give them a piece of my mind. That made me like, yeah, that always helps. So I stop the car. I throw the door open. I unbuckle it. How many know that when you're mad, you can never get the buckle off? And it makes you more mad. So I'm like, what is wrong with that? Get it off. And I get up and I get out of the car and I'm stomping towards the other car. And then I hear this faint voice coming from the car. They might go to the church. <laughs> it worked better than the Holy Spirit. I mean, conviction <laughs> fell. And I was like... I get back in the car and I drive away. Because, you know, even Christians, if we're not careful, cannot walk in kindness. The reason I point this out is because I think it's, it's an area that we've lost a spirit of generosity in. In fact, you know, since we've been talking about this, having a little fun, I, I heard a joke that relates to our story, and it's about Boaz. Can, can I tell it? How many be, be kind and let me tell it? I, I, in the first service, I said, hey, I, can I tell this joke? And is it okay if I tell a joke? And, and the guy in the front's like, no. <laughs> and I looked at him like, you're not being very kind right now. So here's the story. You, you, know what jo you know what Boaz was like before he got married? He was ruthless. <laughs> be kind, be kind. Here's the point. Boaz could have chosen to not be kind. In fact, if he wanted to, he could have come up with an excuse. I'm not going to be kind to her. She's a Moabite. 
And by the way, didn't God say for 10 generations the Moabites were not allowed to be in the presence of God? This is Bethlehem, the house of bread, the house of presence. She shouldn't even be here in the first place. Why should I be kind to her? I'll be kind to other people. But this time, this situation, I don't have to be kind. And as Christians, we sometimes buy into the lies and we come up with excuses. Can I show you a great verse? Because God's called us to be generous with kindness. Let me show what it says in Ephesians. It says, and do not bring sorrow to God's Holy Spirit by the way you live. In other words, don't make God sad. Don't grieve him. Don't disappoint him. Don't ruin his day. Why? Instead, get rid of all bitterness and rage and anger and harsh words and slander where you talk about people as well as all types of evil behavior. Here's why. Instead, be what? Come on, I want to hear every campus. Ready? Be what? Be kind to each other. Why? Be tenderhearted and forgiving to one another. Why? Because God, through Christ Jesus, has been kind to you. God's been kind to you. So why are you hurting the heart of God? By not being generous with your kindness. But, 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 pastor, you don't know who they are. You, you, you don't see the situation. I'm going to relate a story to you right now. I'm going to tell you a story. And I want to preface the story that this story is not political in nature. I'm not advocating a certain party or, or, or a different party. I'm not talking about policies. This has nothing to do with any of that. But I'm going to tell you what happened. And it grieved my heart. And as I stand before you today as your pastor, there is a part of me that grieves on a daily basis as I see what's happening in our culture. There was a, a pastor who pastors a church back east somewhere and randomly right before service they get a phone call and here was the phone call. The president of the United States happens to be in the area and would like to attend service. So the president went to the service and was sitting on the side. And so the pastor decided, you know, the Bible tells us and teaches us that we're to honor people in authority and we're to pray for them. And so he decided in obedience to what God's word says, he called the president onto his stage. He prayed for the president. He didn't pray about policy. He didn't mention political parties. He didn't talk about, you know, what, what philosophies were with certain issues in our country. Instead, he said, God, I pray for the grace of God to be on our president. I pray that you give wisdom to our president. I pray for all the leaders of our country. I pray that you protect them. I pray that you give them your favor and your grace. And he prayed for them. And the president thanked him and walked and sat down. And then the attacks began. And other pastors and other Christians, I'm not talking about politicians or, or people in the world who don't know Jesus. I'm talking about people that are Christians started getting on social media and, and attacking the church and almost shutting down their accounts because of how could you do that? Why would you allow? How could you? And they began to attack this pastor for obeying God's word. It wasn't kind. The pastor decided in the end, you, you do realize that the Bible tells us in the book of Peter that we're to honor elected officials and people that are in authority, whether they're the Speaker of the House or they're the President of the United States, that we're to honor and show respect to leadership in our country and those in appointed authority, whether it's the mayor or the governor. You do realize the Bible tells us that we're to pray for our leaders 
The next week, the, there was so much pressure and so much animosity, and it was so tense that the pastor got up and issued an apology. He said, I don't apologize for praying, but I apologize if I've offended someone. It felt that he had to apologize for being a person of honor. Can I stop and say Christians have quit being Christians? And can I just be bold? When we treat people unkindly and we slander people, whether they agree with us or disagree with us, I'm telling you right now, it's sin in the eyes of the Lord. Wait a minute, Pastor. Wait a minute. You don't understand. that by, by doing that, they're, they're associating with. And when you associate with, you're condoning certain things. Well, then, you know what? If that's your heart and that's your mindset, then I'm thankful that Jesus isn't here right now on earth because here's the reality. The Bible says that he went in and he hung out with Zacchaeus, who was the worst of all sinners. And guess what? All the religious people who didn't even have really a relationship with Christ, you know what they did? They slandered, they gossiped, and they weren't people of kindness. But pastor, you don't understand. This is our enemy, and that, that person's my enemy. They, that I don't believe in what they're doing. You do, you do realize what the Bible says, that when it comes to our enemy, that we're to pray for our enemy. In fact, it goes a step farther and says that when your enemy is without food or water, you take food and water to them and demonstrate kindness. I want to read to you what it says in the book of Romans. Romans says, so when you, a mere human, pass judgment on others, and yet you're doing the same things, do you think you will escape God's judgment? Here's what he says. Or do you show contempt for the riches of his kindness, forbearance, and patience, not realizing that God's kindness is intended to lead you to repentance. In other words, here's what it's saying. The word contempt, here's what it means. It means to look down upon and to despise. You realize that when you and I withhold kindness, when we choose not to be generous with kindness to others, and we slander, I gotta tell you, it's easy to buy in because all you gotta do is watch a reality TV show. And it's all about slandering. It's all about talking. It's all about conflict. It's all about pulling someone down and then trying to make up later so you can do it again. And if we're not careful, we do it. And here's the thing. I realized that over the years, the church has kind of lost their voice. We're afraid to speak out. But then suddenly, we have social media. And now, we can speak out. The sad thing is that when we speak out, rather than being people of kindness. Now, let me stop and say, it's fine to share your opinion on a topic. You can address a topic without demeaning a person. And you can be a person of kindness. What does the Bible say? That the kindness of the Lord leads us to repentance. Maybe the reason why we don't have revival yet in America, maybe the reason why people aren't turning to God it's because the church has lost its voice because we've lost our kindness. And if we would be kind, it would lead people to repentance. If there was a guy who might have felt like he had a right 
to not be kind to, Bo, uh, to Ruth. It was Boaz. Boaz could have said, she didn't deserve it. But at the same time, if there was a guy who understood the need for kindness, it was Boaz. You know why? Many people don't know this, but in the scripture, if you look through the genealogy, Boaz was the son of Rahab. The prostitute. The sex trafficker. The Epstein of her generation. I don't think I'm supposed to say names. I'm sorry. Thank you for your kindness. She lived in a town, and imagine going to school every day. When you show up, everybody knows your mom is the head of the brothel. Your mom is the sex trafficker in your city. You don't want to associate with that person. You know what it's like to feel like an outcast, to not be accepted. But what, what I love about this story is you look through the gospel, or you look through the scripture, and the gospel that we see in the Old Testament is simply this, is that Boaz realized, I know what it's like to need kindness. And I know what can happen when we quit being mean and slander and hate-filled. Instead, we show kindness to others. Because what happened is my mom, something happened. There was some repentance, and she decided to show kindness. And when the spies came to Jericho, she showed kindness. And because she showed kindness, God showed kindness to us. And everybody else died, but God blessed my family. Everybody else was killed, but God spared my family. And if you look through the story, you discover that later on, Boaz and Ruth have a child, and we talked about it before, whose name was Obed, who had a son named Jesse, who had a son named David, who was the king of the nation, and who then had a, through his era, son, his name was Jesus. And the world experienced the kindness of God's grace and forgiveness because one person decided to be kind. And to be generous rather than being like everybody else. God said, don't grieve God. Don't look down and despise God by being unkind. Here's why. Because you know, you know what it's like to receive kindness. Freely I have received, freely I will give of what I have received. So let's go back to the question I asked before. What do you have to give? I'll be honest with you. You guys know I can be a crier, but my heart is weeping for, for the church. Because I see a lot of people that aren't acting like Christians anymore. I've done it. Have you? Maybe God is calling us to a place of repentance. Some of you say, Pastor, what difference will it really make? You know, if you drop a pebble, a small stone into a, a lake or a stream, what happens is it starts a ripple. It will go and touch so many places from just one act. Look at what happened with Rahab the ripple 
you and I are here living in the kindness and grace of God because someone by the name of Rahab, who wasn't perfect, decided to walk in kindness. What would happen in the church in America? What would happen in our culture? What would happen in our schools if Christians would start to be like Jesus, start to walk in kindness? The kindness of the Lord leads us to